0: You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. And all that what is gold. Only shooting stars break the mold. Welcome to another episode of the Enero All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley, back for the weekly talk and footy episode, all about rugby league. No super coach this episode, but so much happening in rugby league. We've got so much to chat about. After a month hiatus, around about we got Perso back on board. Matty Persson, welcome back to the All Stars Podcast, mate. For the talk and footy,
1: yeah, good to be back, Basie. It's Always good to have a chat about a bit of bit of footy. Plenty going on at the moment.
0: There is. It's there's so much going on. I spoke with Luke last week. We talked about Magic Round and a whole heap of things that came out of that. Magic Round was fantastic. Um, this week we've obviously got Indigenous Round, which is another big positive. That's uh, fantastic for this week, and I'll no doubt talk about how great it will be next week for those that are listening to the podcast for the first time this is a talking footy episode like i said so we just talk rugby league all the main issues all the things that are coming up uh none of the bs of the media none of the bias of the media just the way fans and people that think they know a little bit about rugby league maybe see a few things differently to some of the journos and people that actually invested in their opinion on what they say uh but we do have the weekly Supercoach episodes as well, which are recorded every Tuesday, drop every Wednesday, and that's for the NRL TLT Supercoach episodes you can catch every week. So a couple of different episodes of the NRL All-Stars podcast to get stuck into. Make sure that you do share it around. A few people have said they've been doing that. Really appreciate it. You can see the difference. It's great. For this episode, first thing that we do, round review. Let's talk about the round that was, round 11. Uh, a few things to come out of it. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about A couple of them, but one of the, I think, one of the talking points from round 11 for me is first of all, South, we've touched on a little bit in the past couple of episodes on, you know, they're obviously not traveling too well and and everything, but they they got absolutely smashed by Canberra, 32 to 12. And it was a game where you kind of didn't think they were in it at all. And 32 to 12 kind of flattered them per se because they scored a try in the 70th minute. Um, They were really not in it at all. The first uh, five tries of the game to the Raiders. They were never going to come back in that game. Cottridge scored in the fourth minute and they just looked shot. It's the same stuff over and over again where guys like Cody Walker just aren't really doing enough. I haven't seen enough from Ilias and Taff compared to, obviously they're not going to be near a Latrell or whatever, but this week for the games that are about to kick off the round, we do have South with some troops back. You know, Cam Murray's going to make a big difference Do you think that they're going to be able to turn things around? Uh, Because obviously, you know, that much against Canberra, I thought that was shocking.
1: Uh, They've they've been pretty ordinary all year. They've put in a couple of decent halves or decent periods in games, but um, their completion rate is atrocious. They've got the worst completion rate in the comp. that's, again, what killed them last week. I mean, Canberra's defence was outstanding again last week. But in reality, they really didn't throw a hell of a lot at them. Uh, themselves are struggling. They're really struggling. They get a bit of cohesion. Cody Walker looks a shade of the player he has been in the last few years. Whether it's attitude or the fact Reynolds and Gago are gone, I'm not sure. But um, they just look a bit lost in
0: attack. Yeah, they do. And I mean, look, when we're talking about this, we should also give some credit to Canberra, who doesn't get enough of a mention on these podcasts. Um, they're. They're a side that I didn't think would make the eight. And certainly when they lost Hodgson at the start of the year and the way they were playing, you just sort of wrote them off. And sort of thought, well, you know, that's the sort of Canberra that I kind of thought they'd be. They're on a three game winning streak, the Raiders. And, a couple of good wins in there like they beat the Sharks 30 to 10 the round before last in round 10 and that was convincing and I know Souths aren't playing well but that's a side that you pin still far above Canberra and the Raiders, Raiders smashed from 32 to 12 so I mean all of a sudden they're on a three-game winning streak and the Raiders haven't been without the, their own injuries as well so I mean probably part of it is Souths but I think part of it too we looking at the round that was we should probably give some credit to Canberra for the last couple of weeks for their performances
1: uh, 100%. They're playing miles better than they were. They look a bit more like the um, Ricky Stewart coach side from a couple of years ago when they were challenging for grand finals and preliminary finals. They backed off their defence. They've been a hell of a lot better the last two or three weeks defensively, and their attacks come on the back of that.
0: Yep, 100%. And like when you look at the numbers and stuff, you can see that it, it is a lot. It is very much like um, the more successful Ricky Stewart sides. Um, mm-hmm. Jack White's playing a bit better. Which is going to help because I thought that he had a really down year last year and that affected them. But they're forward pack. You know, guys like um, Hudson Young in particular, I think, has been really good lately. Um, Tappany and Papa Lee, those guys have come through. Um, what well, about
1: that try laid on by Horsburgh and Young? Oh, but, uh, that game. That was outstanding.
0: You know how to get me going, per se. Just talk about the big redhead. <laughs> As a massive number one, number one, and probably number two in the two person Corey Horsburgh fan club I am. But he, he's just. I just love watching him. Like he just, he rips in like he's playing A grade in the park and he's just wait. He's just getting through. He loves his footy. He wishes it went for 160 minutes and smashes a pie and a beer afterwards. Yeah. Like that's just what well, he does.
1: I, I, I said in one of our messenger chats on the weekend, I said, I don't know how many weaklings Corey were had this morning, but geez, he's ripping and tearing. He was, yeah, <laughs> he's good to watch, wouldn't he, the big fella?
0: Yeah, he is. And like we do see it sometimes with these Raiders forwards that, you know, particularly people like Papa Lee and stuff, you know, this is his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't start the seasons well, but those forwards, you're right. They're playing like they were a couple of years ago um and off the back of that um the Raiders are doing well and you can see it in the try scoring right like Nick Nick Cottridge scored the first try of the game round 11 um that's his first try all season you know so that sort of says how their attack structured their their wingers and outside backs don't get a hell of a lot of tries
1: and that that was probably Cottridge's best game too since he's come back to Canberra probably his best game in about three years
0: I've been super disappointed in him as a Cottridge fan. Like I thought three years ago he was going to be a long-term New South Wales centre or winger, and, and he's just fallen off. So it's good to see him back as well. Um, look, let's talk about some of the other games too. And now, the Sharks got back on the board against the um, the Titans, but that was monsoonal weather. I don't think there's too much to talk about there except for, you know, it was a bit shaky with the Sharks lost the week before, but they went back to business as usual. But the Penrith Panthers, you know, I don't want to keep talking about them every podcast, but we need to give them, you know, the teams that are going well mentions and props. They've smashed the roofs to 32 to 12. And I, I mentioned, um, I think the week before, um, the Panthers-Eels matchup was probably the first matchup this year. when we, That was a semi-final game. That was a semi-final matchup. It was such high quality and such good football to watch. But... The first 30 minutes of the Roosters-Panthers, I thought was the same. Like, it was such an arm wrestle, wasn't it? That first 30, it was like, wow, these blokes are playing for a spot in the grand final, the way they're playing. You know, there was minimal errors. It was nil all after 30. And you just sort of thought, wow, oh, this is going to be one of those really good games. And as a Roosters fan, I was really excited. And then, obviously, the Panthers just blew them off the park.
1: Quality football it was a really good game. They just got it. They haven't got an extra gear. they have got luck like, about an extra two or three gears that anyone else has at the moment. The Panthers, they can... They just keep at it. They're super fit that side. They just their line speed doesn't stop all games. It's just relentless. Clear kicking game. They just they're, they're just relentless. They just squeeze teams out of it. Like they they literally just suffocate you. And ladies, even when they go with them, it's they just got more and they they just relentless and never give up. It's it'll be very interesting this week to see where the Cowboys are at in comparison to the Panthers. I think Cowboys might get brought back down to earth a little bit this week. The Panthers are just they're just so much better than everyone else at the moment. They've got no injuries either. That's the thing. They've got the same side every week.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And like, if you look at the numbers for the Penrith Roosters game, like it, it looks like it was a really close semi-final contest, right? Like, the the Panthers completed eighty-six percent. The Roosters completed eighty percent. That's really, really good quality. Uh, you know, and then nobody missed a kick as well, by the way. But when you have a look at some of the other stats, they the, the missed tackles. The, the Panthers actually missed more tackles than the Roosters. They missed 35, the Roosters missed 26 and the Panthers had led the line breaks five to two, but even things like offloads, you know, 10 to eight in favor of the Roosters. It was all pretty, pretty much similar. You know, they were really competing. Um, possession was pretty similar for the most part, at right on 50-50, but in parts of the game, it obviously swung in the Panthers' favor and that's when they dominated. But the Panthers just seemed to play these arm wrestle games and then, like you said, they do have another gear and the quality of players. You know, it's an arm wrestle, and all the stats look the same for both teams. But then they win thirty-two just, to twelve.
1: Just ruthless in the key moments.
0: Yeah, and they they take advantage of everything. Like you know, the the Roosters probably um, still aren't hitting full strength. They're better, um, but the Panthers are just 100, at hundred percent, hundred miles an hour. So, do you think that, do you see them like losing to anyone this year? Because at the moment, surely they're odds-on favourites for back-to-back.
1: Oh, they got to be favourites. It's going to take a – see how the origin period treats them. This is get, that'll be the biggest test because they're going to have six or seven players in origin. So, and they might slip a couple of games through there maybe. And it depends if everyone pulls through origin without injury. Like they lost Cleary and total last year with injury. And so that might bring them back to the pack a little bit. But, I mean, they'll cruise through to the top four. They should be minor premiers. It's – Just if they start – I can't see anyone booting them unless they get, like, fatigued at the end of the year with injuries and things like that. They're just just too good.
0: Well, it is one of those things, isn't it, where you almost um, – you're looking for things that could go wrong because it's hard to find them. And, you know, the the fact that they are going so good and they have all year, a lot of coaches talk about peaking at the right time, and and Trent Robinson's really big on that. Like, he wasn't very flustered, certainly the first – six weeks of the season, he didn't really care. He started to care a little bit more after that, but he talks about, and he, and he's, this has happened before to these Rooster sides as an example, you know, he talks about his timing of the runs isn't to be 100% at the start. He, he's not wanting to be. He's wanting to time it so they gradually improve and then they're hitting the, the final third of the season at 100% going into the semifinals like that. And I don't think that it's going to happen to the Panthers because of their age. I, th- I think they've got a young squad and It's a good mix where they're going to keep going and be enthusiastic and not make the errors. But we have seen it before, haven't we? Where sides yeah. come out firing, peak early, and they burn out a little bit and they sort of don't make it to that level come finals time.
1: They got such good depth, too, though. Penrith, it's uh, them and the storm seemed so like the last couple of seasons is the same, they just go all year, get and they're still the. Got that level, in the Sammy's. I mean, last year, arguably when Penrith won, they weren't playing as good footy as they were the year before. Mm. Uh, they just shit the bed in the grand final. And then last year, they sort of they struggled through towards the end, and they just they purely won through just on their defence. Their attack was nowhere near as good. They were just so gritty in defence, and that's what got them there last year. And then turned around this year. It looks like they've gone to another level again. So, it's ominous sides,
0: really, isn't it? It's pretty scary for the rest of the competition. That's for sure. Uh, other big statement that was made on the weekend was by the North Queensland Cowboys. They beat the, the Melbourne storm 36 to six in a vacuum on paper. If you didn't watch the game, if you didn't follow rugby league that closely, you'd look at that score and go, wow, like that is the Cowboys coming out party. They are legit. But I guess there's two trains of thought with it. se you know, they were, they were dominant throughout the whole game. Uh, Melbourne were never going to really win. In um, the second half in particular, the Cowboys really put them to the sword and just kept scoring tries, it felt like, and then sort of put the queue in the racket around the 60th minute and it was just a bludger of a final quarter. But they they won, obviously, very convincingly. And the Storm don't normally lose back-to-back games. That was a back-to-back loss for them. has rarely happened. And they certainly don't lose by 30-plus point margins. So on the first surface...
1: That, <clears throat> that's the first time that's happened since Bellamy's been coached. They've lost back-to-back
0: with 30 well, you see, I I thought they'd done it once or twice, but wow, that's the first time. So look at that as a stat. So I mean, on the surface, the cows look like it was a phenomenal win and it was, I don't want to take anything away from them. But the other little caveat there, and it's sort of tapping me on the shoulder a little bit when people bring it up as the Cowboys, you know, being legit because of the game. You can't ignore the fact that the Storm had two of their big four out. Uh, and I think that makes a huge difference. And even Nelson osofa Solomona makes a huge difference. So it was, you know, it was kind of a shame because I would have liked to have seen the Cowboys win against Melbourne and Melbourne be full strength because it's a real, it's a, it's a real good yardstick, but you can also not really have to look at excuses or things, you know, other factors. But do you reckon that that was a real deal win or do you sort of take it with a bit of a grain of salt for last week because of the storms outs? Oh, well, it's a real deal
1: win, but. To what degree is the, is the key? See, like they Hughes, Papinows and Nas. Um, they've been missing World all season. Remus Smith, but then um, the Cowboys lost time with Olo early, and then they lost Felt as well. So they played that game with fifteen men and still dominated.ly like, You sort of only play what's in front of you. That's a really good point too. And um, like years gone past, Storm would still be good enough to beat a side like the Cowboys missing a couple of players like that. So you can sort of put an argument two ways. But you can only play what's in front of you and geez, the Cowboys are playing a good brand of footy at the moment. Far exceeded my expectations for the season, that's for sure. But uh, I'm enjoying watching them. They, they put Parramatta to the sword a few weeks earlier too. So that's why I'm really looking forward to the Panthers game this week because this will be the acid test. They're playing Penrith at Penrith, full strength Penrith side. that haven't had any injuries this year. They're flying, so this week will be the true test to see how they're going. But they're a legitimate top eight side, the way they're playing. I I can't see them falling out of the eight. I can't see them falling off the edge of a cliff. I can't see them challenging for the comp, but they're playing a good brand of footy.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I I reckon this week's the real big litmus test, and they have improved regardless of what happens, and they deserve credit. It's just how much they've improved. I think we're going to really find out this week and and the coming weeks for the final half of the season. Uh, Look, there's a couple of other games that I don't want to get into too much because at the end of the day, we've got some pretty big topics out of them. Obviously, the Eels beat the Manly Seagulls in a thriller of 22-20 scoreline, but there was big news out of that with Turbo being out, which we're going to talk about. The other one as well was um, the Knights. I thought they were going to win. You know, I tipped the Knights last week. I thought they were going to do the Broncos.
1: I changed my tip at the last minute when Reynolds was out. I thought that was enough. Yeah,
0: I did too. I was the same. Like, I was on the fence anyway. I thought the Knights had a a chance, and Ponga's looked a lot better lately. And I do really like Ponga deserves credit the last couple of weeks because he's gotten piled on right a lot. And I think that he deserved it. But. You need to give him some props. The last couple of weeks, he's looked a bit more engaged and he's done better for them. And obviously, the Knights have, you know, a lot of their players back with all their forward pack, right? So, yeah, well, I was the same. As soon as I saw Reynolds out, I thought they're going to win and, and they end up getting flogged. But there's a lot more to come of that game from that. <laughs> so uh, we are going to talk about those two games in a bit more detail. So why don't we get to it? And you know, Why don't we talk about those uh, couple of things that are coming out of those games? So the next topic on the list is Bunker Clangers. So that night's Broncos game, I think was almost the straw that broke the Campbell's back. They've obviously been quite a few controversial bunker decisions all year. And there's been quite a bit of fan anger towards the bunker throughout the whole season. And I'd probably say this year, it's been more than um, the years past and that game had two. So let's unpack those two. First one, we had Dane Gagai score a try. It looked like a, a certain try. And they pulled it up because they said that um, he's lost possession of the ball and didn't re- regain it.
1: That rule is what gets me. I can't stand that rule. I don't know why they brought it in, that separation, and you have to regather before you touch the ground. There's not really any but reason for it.
0: Like, why, like
1: I don't know why they ever brought it in. That's the thing. It, like, <laughs> it wasn't a try under the way they interpret the rule. But for 100 years, that was a try you simultaneously put the football there. Look, you're a foot off the ground going 100 miles an hour. What chance have you got to bobble and regather? There's no such thing. It's a try. The try every day of the week for 100 years. But because of this stupid rule that they brought in, where if you lose possession of the ball in play, you've got to regather it before the ground. How are you supposed to do that when you're a foot off the ground? I've got no idea. But that's the way they... It's just stupid.
0: Well, it's a terrible rule. I agree with you. And I, I'd, I'd even raise to you, like, what is... What is the difference between um, someone running through on a kick right and the ball's just stationary on the ground, and then putting their hand on it? To you, you know, pushing your hand on the ball from upwards and p- pushing it onto the ground. You know, it's still the same downward pressure motion. So I never said it's ridiculous. It, it, it's a crazy one to bring in, but you know what? Personally, I, I've gotten the rule book out. You know, I've gotten it out. I've read it, and I reckon that there is an argument, um, even though we've seen these type of tries, you know, dismissed before. I reckon that there's an argument watching the footage that his thumb and the side of his hand with his thumb never never leaves leaves the ball. So whilst I understand them saying, oh, that's the rule and whatever, blah, 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 it's one of the biggest things wrong with the NRL at the moment. And I'm surprised more people haven't pointed it out. I, I don't understand why – I really don't understand why more people didn't bring this up, but they, the, the big problem is that they come up with these narratives, right, where they just stick to their guns. And this is the thing with all of this. Like, honestly, it's it to the hilt and to the point that <laughs> – Which gets know, to
1: the next topic that you're going to talk about. He doesn't even back to <laughs> – but we'll oh, get to that in a minute.
0: <laughs> we will. But, I mean, Abdo and, and Vlandis came out too and, like, turned it into – um, you know, the poor referees and defending the referees and how we have to treat them better and all this stuff. And, mate, look, they do not... The, all they look at is one set criteria. They're not even looking at pl- applying the rules properly because if you applied this rule properly, okay, technically, and this is the thing, right, they're really big on technical stuff Well, they'll disallow a try or they'll allow a try that doesn't look like a try or does look like a try on real small technicalities that, you know, look, that's not footy, but technically it's right. But then when it suits them, they'll drop the technicalities, right? And one of the technicalities with that gag I try is that there was never any separation. He had three fingers come off the ball, the rest of the fingers were on it, and then he planted it down. So you can say that he never lost possession. And so many times in the bunker or so many times with the referees, they look for separation, okay? You cannot say that there was separation at that ball. In the rule book, it doesn't say that you've got to grip the ball with five fingers and the palm of your hand and all parts of you have to be touching the ball and never come away from it. It just says that, you know, you have to not lose possession of the ball and you then have to re-grip it or um, you have to re-grip it with your hands yeah, or, or catch it again. It's
1: a ridiculous right? rule. So that,
0: that, that, that never happened to me. So I understand where you're saying that they, they you know, that's the rule, but but I'd argue it's not right.
1: Yeah, then you got that grey area. Is he got you call him has got the control of the ball? Because he's got a thumb on it. Like, it's just stupid. Just take all that shit out of it and have it the way the game always was simultaneous put down is a try. Simple as that. Like, why complicate the game? And if it's just, that rule just annoys well, me. You no watch so,
0: right? That gag I try that was disallowed, we'll get another one of those and it'll be given because they'll say there was never any exactly. separation from the hand. Exactly. There's no consistency. And if there's not separation from the hand, they'll say, well, you didn't lose control of the ball. And Annesley will come up and back that, you know? And, and this is a problem, right? Like, if you're Villiamic kick out, right? You, you, I reckon big, big Billy could hold the ball with two fingers. You know, just don't tell me that he can't. <laughs> he can. Oh, I like have... a couple of cranks. Oh, yeah. So don't tell me that he can have three fingers come away from him. And he doesn't have possession anymore. You know, if there's no separation, then that guy got tried. It. It should be fine, and I think it was. So
1: they just try. They just overcomplicate things. That's just ridiculous. Like. The, the, the interpretation changes of rules like that that happen all the time. It, it just it's so annoying and so frustrating for the fans, but it can imagine it's just as frustrating for the players and the coaches and everything else. Because, as you said, it's just no consistency with it either. One day that'll be a try, one day it won't. And you like it's even hard to blame the refs because it's going up to the bunker. It's the bunker that's making those calls.
0: Well, that's true as well. And the bunker even themselves are going through a criteria that the NRL is giving them. So I mean, if your boss being honestly backs what you're doing and tells you that's right, then of course that behaviour and those calls are going to continue and you can barely even blame a bunker in that sure. case.
1: And so the criteria is coming down from Annesley and the Landys and whoever else is pushing the agenda.
0: Well, that was the first one. Obviously, there was another one in the Knights game and that was yeah. absolutely awful. I, I did not meet one person that, that did not think that that Cobo try and it was a try where, you know, it, it opened the game up and basically ruined it. Now, I've seen... Some Broncos fans say it didn't win the game. You know, it was, look, it was in the 68th minute and it was a two-point ball game. You know, like it was – that that decided the yeah. game. Once that was scored, it was an eight-point game and it was all over and the Knights dropped their bundle. And momentum is such an important thing, perso. Like you've got a side in an arm wrestle like the Knights that haven't won many footy games and they're right – They were
1: just coming back into the game too at that time. Yeah, I thought they were on top. Yeah, back to 14-12. They have kind of had the momentum at that point.
0: Yeah, so I would have backed the Knights from that point. And, I mean, there's a big difference, you know, when you, you get a penalty on halfway with a full set of six going to the Broncos way when you've already got the momentum to it then being a Broncos try and an eight-point lead with 10 to go and you don't even have... It was position. always on the, 30, on the Broncos 30 moon. Yeah. It's just, it, it, but let's, let's go over it for those that, that didn't see it properly or didn't get to watch the game or whatever. So uh, you had Ricky come up um, and the whole... The whole reason that the, this got called as okay and the reason Annesley defended it was because they brought out the old inside shoulder criteria, you know. But that's just black and
1: white, Barnsley. That's the thing about it. When was it about five or six years ago they brought Because remember all this controversy about the obstruction. So they brought in that if the lead runner catches the ball on the inside shoulder of the decoy runner, it's an obstruction, no matter what happens after that. Yep. There's a yep. black and white rule. That was... A perfect example of a black and white rule. Like, <laughs> okay. uh, there was one against the Tigers against Manly a couple of weeks ago. had one, and the decoy runner didn't even make contact with the fence, but it was on the inside shoulder, so it was a penalty straight away. So, Paul's try was knocked back. That one, he catches on the inside shoulder, runs behind the, and the defence has been taken out by the decoy runner. Passes behind him, and that was the that was the. That was a justification by the bunker that he passed the ball before he ran behind him, which he didn't. But anyway, and then Annesley comes out. That was the most black and white obstruction to that inside shoulder rule. That there, It's just crazy. Even Kevin Walters came out and said he was when he was watching that he was hoping that Cobay went down before the trial line because we'd get called no, back.
0: It's, it, that's the thing. Every man and his dog knew it, right? And then when the opposing coach is even saying it and then you back it up by, you know, endlessly fronting and saying it was correct, it, it just makes it a laughing stock. And the, I tell you the thing that bothers me the most about it, okay? They've got a black and white rule and they've explained it away in the bunker and endlessly has explained it away why they got it right based on that black and white rule. That isn't the only rule with obstruction. You know, and it, it absolutely kills me, right? They, they're looking at this one criteria. Now, if you look at the rules of the game that the NRL have to publish, and it is on their website, I urge you to go look for it, but it's pretty hard to find. Uh, you'll see that that is one of the criterias, okay? With the inside shoulder running behind your own player. Yeah,
1: that, that's just the black and white one that just straight away rules right. obstruction.
0: But you know what else is an obstruction? So, if you obstruct a defender at any like- point... <laughs> that's an obstruction exactly and it says it in the rule book per you know so i mean that's it, that just really kills me okay i'm going to read from the rule, be, rule book here for everyone okay for the rugby league fans this is what an obstruction is block or flat runners must not stop in the middle of the defensive line he stopped in the defensive line block or flat runners must not run and shoulder defenders or initiate contact to me he initiated contact by stopping right in front of a player that was coming forward you know, these are other indicators of what an obstruction 100%. is. Um And then you've got, the obviously, the running behind and the inside shoulders.
1: It was pretty much every version of an obstruction rolled into one play. Yeah,
0: well, exactly. But then the other thing, too, is that you just... You, you, there is referee discretion that if a defending player is obstructed by an attacking player of making a tackle, then it's a penalty. And that's a real simple one, and that one's been there since 1908. So throw away... The, all they spoke about in the bunker and all Ennisley wanted to talk about was the inside shoulder and when he passed the ball and he didn't run behind. He
1: passed the ball before he That's ran behind. That's all that he wanted to talk
0: about. Well, what about the decoy run? That's
1: exactly right. There's three, other, the three
0: other rules under the obstruction. <laughs> so he's, they've hit oh. all of them. <laughs> How is it an obstruction?
1: It was the most blatant obstruction you will ever see in a play ever. It's the biggest howler <laughs> I've seen. I'm no ref basher. I got, got to try and stick to their side most of the time. But that was an absolute shocker.
0: And I'll tell you the other thing that killed me, Annesley's come out in that press conference and not one person in the media, and I watched the press conference, have said to him, okay, cool, even if we agree with that with the inside shoulder when he passed the ball, didn't run behind him, what about the fact that the the defender's been taken out? How is nobody referencing the rules of the game and saying there's still these other rules under obstruction? That they've that makes it illegal I, I don't understand why it's not brought up
1: well that the lead runner taking out the defender is relevant when you the lead runner catches on the right hand side of the, the decoy runner so if that was deemed to happen the decoy runner still takes out the defender
0: it's it, it, it's it really is unbelievable and like it's it is it is laughable.
1: and to try and justify it post incident is just i yeah if I Lost a bit of respect for Annesley for that, to be honest. Like I know he's trying to protect his refs and everything else, but though that was that was an absolute howler, and he needed to come out and say they got it wrong.
0: Well, that's exactly right, and that'll, that'll that'll be my next point. But before we get to that, I have to say, like what they've done now is a precedent. From what the bunker said and the audio that you heard from the bunker, and from what Annesley had said backing it, as long as you do, as long as you're cool with the inside shoulder and when you pass the ball and you don't run behind the player. Mate, get your forwards just absolutely mugging the defensive line, you know, because it's all fine, and that's basically what they've said, right? Like, the, the, just just go and mug them. Just make sure that you hit the inside shoulder and that you pass before you go behind them, and it's all good, you know. Oh, they'd be they'd be practicing that at training this week. Oh, every all, all sixteen teams will be, you know. And why 100%. wouldn't you? Like, look how badly he got taken out there, and he couldn't even turn and chase. Like it was just. It was, but you bring up a really good point too about you know Annesley doubling down on it and losing respect for him. The NRL um, and all the senior execs that I mentioned before, whether it's Landy's, Abdo, Annesley, they've all backed this and they've all actually called out fans and the media about you know how hard they're being on referees. They don't seem to understand that fans have every right to blow up when, you know, you watch rugby league for a long time and you know that that is wrong in rugby league. And that also when you're told things like an obstruction, you know, that has a lot of changes to the rule book that you don't agree with, but you follow it and you know what it is and then it gets changed and there's no consistency, fans have every right to blow up. But the biggest thing with it is if they don't want, you know, and I have to say, like, it's it's abhorrent that the referee's got death threats and things like that's obviously never going to be on. But if you really wanted to protect your referees and you really wanted them to stop getting bashed, then be honest with everyone. Don't treat everyone like a mug. Come out like you said and say, we got it wrong. It was clearly an obstruction because the defender was obstructed. It shouldn't have been a try. And we're going to stand the bunker down the next week. And we're actually going to stand the referee down the next week too because live it was plain as day too. 100%. That's what I was about to say. It was that bad that live, I can't believe it wasn't pulled up straight away. Well, don't you think, though, that if they just dropped them, you know, you don't have people as angry and you probably and get about as half as much vitriol about it?
1: The twist side in all this is, Barnes, is if the ref had called it straight away on field, no one would be having this conversation. No one would have argued with it whatsoever. If the ref had called it live instruction and didn't even go up to the bunker, we wouldn't even be having this conversation.
0: Exactly right. Yeah. Like, it, uh, it, I can see this blowing up even further because they keep doubling down and doubling down and doubling down, and it's just going to get worse and worse. So I think it's really poor form from the NRL. I think it's really poor form from Annesley, and I feel sorry for the referees because they're going to make mistakes, but if they keep getting supported and told that these mistakes are fine, then they're going to keep making them. So I don't even blame the referees that much, but things need to change. To the point, they don't know. What do you do? You damn if you do, damn you don't if you ref at the moment. Well, just, I couldn't imagine how that you point, could do yeah. it. as <laughs> a job.
1: Uh, it, yeah, it's there's just way too much emphasis on the Like the, the bunker's the biggest problem. Uh, but that's another topic for another day.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I don't agree with the whole just get rid of the bunker stuff.
1: Um, I not just get rid of it, but it needs to be toned down on what they can adjudicate on and when they do. Like going back to place for certain things. And
0: well, I mean, uh, this is the final thing on this, right? Is that Um, quite quietly it's been reported that uh, and it says quietly the NRL head honchos uh, are are concerned about the bunker and some of the things in it. So there's going to be some people like Chitty that don't get promoted again potentially, and they're going to be making changes and personnel changes are going to happen. So there's more understanding rugby league. So, I mean, this is a thing too, like this is a triple down now, and it's a backhanded to all the fans and all the players and all the clubs in rugby league, because You've now um, made a mistake. You've then doubled down on that mistake by having a press conference days after when you got to watch it a lot and still support it and say everyone else is wrong. And then go and say behind closed doors, oh, actually, we're a bit wrong there and we need to actually make some changes to the bunker because it's actually really not working well. You know, it it is just terrible management. Yeah,
1: Transparency and honesty, that's all fans and the public want out of it. Mm. Consistency. That's the biggest one: consistency.
0: And I, I really don't think that it should be that hard to get to. Um, when we're a professional game, we've been around a long time. We're the best national. We're the best rugby league competition in the world. How is it that hard for us to get to a point that we're getting better and not worse at this sort of stuff? We do need to take a break for the moment. Um, just for me to mention our fantastic sponsor of the NRL All Stars podcast in Top Sport. Topsport is a 100% Australian owned bookmaker. If you've never been there before, go on to topsport.com.au and you can have a look. We can download their app, which is fantastic to use. But Topsport often have best odds in market. Um, they've also got great odds for racing, not just sport. And for the Supercoach nuts out there, you can almost bet on Supercoach. They've got fantasy sports betting based on player performance um, metrics that you can find on NRL.com. And you can see the criteria when you go to those markets. So check out the player performance markets on game day, and you can bet on the over or under on the fantasy point scoring on those guys. But if you're going to create an account, make sure you gamble responsibly, but make sure you use the promo code of this podcast. It's SC all stars, all one word. When you create an account with top sport, there's a spot there that you can pop that in as a promo code. And then they'll know that you're one of our listeners that have come across. They'll take great care of you, but topsport.com.au go get on them today. Next topic is close to my heart, so I'm going to have to try and be a bit more reserved. <laughs> Jared will wear hard He absolutely blew up the Lux on the weekend, uh, and it was, uh, I think, um, seen very differently by different people. Um, but basically, for those that didn't see it, what happened is that there was a try-score. Jared came through and, and clipped the try-score high. Uh, it was going to be a penalty. Um, the referee put it on report and gave an eight point try. And then Jared gave him a gobble. Um, now, I think one of the biggest things for me with this perso is it's being misconstrued by a lot of fans. You know, a lot of people are saying oh, it's definitely a penalty. Um, you can't talk to a referee that way. You're going to, you're going to risk getting sinned in. I don't think Jared or the Roosters have any problem with him being penalised. I certainly didn't. And I don't think that anybody has uh, had a problem with him even being sin-binned. The problem was that the reason he got sin-binned was because it all started from him being put on report. And I actually agree with Jared. I'm not just saying that as a Roosters fan. And and this is why, okay? Not every tackle gets put on report. And I think that what we saw is players that do get treated a bit differently than others. And that's exactly what Jared was talking about. It's what Robbo talked about in the press conference. And I 100% agree with it. You know, not every tackle gets put on report. And in fact, when you're looking at the numbers, in a round of footy in 2022, 14 penalties are given for a high tackle in a round. Of those 14 tackles in a round that are a high tackle penalty, only 1.75 of those on average per round are actually charged by the match review committee. So bugger all, basically, is actually a reportable high tackle. Pretty much... All of, A lot of Jared's tackles are put on report automatically just because it's Jared. So I kind of understand where he's coming from, then, Perso, because there are these players in the game Jared O'Reilly Hargraves, uh, Heatherington of the Bulldogs, Radley, Tovita Pengai Jr., Sewer, all these guys seem to be looked at much harshly than others. And certainly if you're a front rower, you're a big, bulking front rower that can hit hard, you are looked at a lot worse than if uh, a halfback does that same tackle. So I would actually agree that if other players, even forwards, did that tackle, they wouldn't be put on report. And if other players that were, say, a halfback did that tackle, they wouldn't even be looked at as being put on report. And I'd even question when it was an eight-point try. Now, I've got no problem with the eight-point try. He did get hit high. Jared was pretty colourful in his language. But I'd finish up by saying, you know what, that's you know a good... 12 years of frustration from Jared all coming through now because he's been treated that way pretty much his whole career. And some will obviously argue per so that it's warranted because, you know, people don't like him or how he plays or whatever. It doesn't matter. You've got to look at each incident fairly, right? And am I, you know, <laughs> this being a rooster's bed, like feeling a bit sorry for him from everything that happened?
1: Nah, I love Jarrod Gross. He's one of my favourite players, always has been an old prop myself. Might be a bit biased that way too, but um, no, he definitely does. He's got a target on his head because he, he just always does. But it wasn't a reportable defence. Uh, not even close. It just it, it goes back to that game where the Warriors won in the last, when Lodge got hit and he laid down and the bunker came in. The bunker can't, you know, over the top unless it's a reportable defence. It got him high, but it wasn't a reportable defence. And they kick a goal and win the game. So... I don't know. you shouldn't have carried on the way you can understand that but the whole thing is you didn't even get a suspension out of it you just got a phone so obviously it wasn't too reportable the incident
0: well that's right too and it opens up to a to another uh topic as well where you know at what point do you know this these things that are being put on report that are being reviewed a dozen times on video over a minute or two that aren't actually really reportable, at what point do people get performance managing their jobs in the NRL to actually get better at that? And I think that that's another question that needs to be asked because if, if you're reporting, you know, stuff and 50% of it doesn't even get charged by the match review committee, then you're looking at the wrong stuff and you're not refereeing or adjudicating properly. And I, I think that some of that goes back to why Jared was so frustrated because he knows as well, especially, you know, before this year when there was loading involved, if Jared Weir-Hargraves fronts the judiciary, it's a lot higher chance that he's getting suspended than Nathan Cleary or some of these other players. You know, Robbo used James Sudesco as an example. It's 100% the case. And some of it's his record and he's loading, so he just doesn't want to find himself there. But some of it as well is just because it's Jared Weir-Hargraves. So it does seem a bit unfair. And, you know, it, it begs the question, person. Shouldn't, you know, shouldn't you reporting a player actually be accurate? Shouldn't it be better? than what it is, because that was nowhere near a reportable offence and it never should have been.
1: No, it's ridiculously inconsistent, this reportable offence stuff. Even the Simbinings is ridiculously inconsistent. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you look at one, there was a uh, few guys back there with Tedesco. He should have gone to the bin for sure, but he didn't because it was Teddy. But then other people did not even class and, right, see you later. It's just, I don't know, I can't keep up with it. But that's, yeah, 100% he gets... Definitely gets targeted. There's players that get targeted with that. You said Heatherton, he's another one. He just has to look at the ref the wrong
0: way, and it's gone. a bit of a shame because you know it, it has happened before, and, and some of these guys are really good players. And I've always argued, even just with the reportable stuff, because it obviously gets in the match review committee, and then they have to, you know, obviously get suspend suspensions and stuff. You don't want you know good players getting suspended, especially, and a lot of these guys are good players. You know, people want to see Wiri Hargraves. people want to see Radley, people want to see TPJ. People want to see Sue hitting people hard and stuff, and it's it's not like there is no precedent of this happening before. You know, a really good example that I'll bring up is Sam Burgess. You know, Sam Burgess was uh, arguably for for years one of, one of the best forwards in the game, potentially the best forward when he was at peak, and he used to cop it. You know, there's games that I remember that he just got penalised basically for hitting someone too hard, and it was like, what are you penalising him for? And then he gets put on report for it. And a few of those he had to confront the judiciary, and a couple he even just wore because it was too hard to fight him and risk a three week suspension instead of a two. It's just, and again, he was one of those players, Sam Burgess, that he played hard, he hit people hard. And because of that, those same tackles that he would do compared to a halfback or someone else would either cause more damage or just be, you know, more spectacular. And then all of a sudden he ends up getting treated worse than the other players. And that's not fair. And one of the things that Jared said in that rant was, it's not fair, mate. Oh, actually, I think he called him bro, but, you know, (laughs) I'll indulge a little bit with bait. Anyway, I I really felt for Jared because I think that he was really emotional, pretty upset. He deserved to get sent to the bin, but, you know, sometimes you get sent to the bin just to get your point across, and hopefully he did. And the NRL thinks about that because, like you said, Perso, he never got to the match review committee, um, and only, you know, 8% of high tackles end up at the match review committee anyway. Yeah. the amount of things you put on report is and it's, it's a cop-out too, right? Because it's a ref just saying, look, it's it's easier for me just to put it on report than to make a decision on it. Exactly. So another controversial figure on our next topic. One of the things that's come to the forefront in the last round is Brandon Smith's tackling technique. There was two players injured in the Cowboys, Melbourne Storm Blockbuster on the weekend. And one of those was Kyle Feld with a knee injury, MCL. And the other one was Jason Tomololo with an MCL injury as well common denominators in those tackles were Brandon Smith was low around the legs. It has been said um, in several media outlets per se, there's been a lot written up about it in the past week. Um, And there's been a lot said on um, the TV programs like NRL 360, for example, have brought up, you know, does Brandon Smith have, is there a problem with Brandon Smith's tackling technique? And it was even raised, you know, what do they need to do to penalize these type of tackles? And I actually laughed in my lounge room when I watched that. Like I read some, pretty crappy articles through the week on it. But I laughed because it's like what they described on the NRL 360 panel. And in fairness, you know, in a lot of articles and stuff that was around, they described it, it hits hard and he hits uh, around the waist and he hits and drives as hard as he can, and then comes down on the legs. And to me, Isn't that how you taught to tackle? That, that's, that's, that's why I laughed. It's <laughs> like, oh, I remember being taught to tackle and you hit people low and then you and come down and get the their legs. legs together so they fall down, you know. Head
1: behind the ass, drop the legs.
0: And I was always taught too, don't go in soft, Barnsley. And I remember as a kid, there was a few times I went in soft and I got knocked out by knees and stuff. You get run over. And you get run over and you miss tackles as well, you know. So, you know, I just sort of laughed and actually said to my wife, you know, are they seriously saying that you're no longer, are they going to outlaw the legs tackle next? You know, it's, it's already ridiculously hard for a defender um, You've got crusher tackles that aren't crusher tackles and all someone has to do is back in or grab their neck or, or scrunch yeah. over and it's going to be a crusher. It, it, at, at rugby league speed, let alone at NRL rugby level speed, Uh, you, you, it's very hard for a defender as it is. And all of a sudden you're going to start saying, okay, well, let's implement this thing where you really can't tackle around the legs pretty much at all anymore. Because, you know, rightly we got rid of cannonball tackles. Um, and you've got these hip drop tackles now as well. And, you know, some of those are arguable even. Like it's not even a hip drop tackle. It's just someone tackling around the legs, but you're going to get done for it anyway. And now we're going to get, you know, the whatever they're going to call it, the leg drive tackle, where you're not allowed to hit anyone below the waist. You know, and I made the joke five years ago that we're
1: going to have... <laughs> where are you allowed to tackle someone? you just got to tackle them between the between the belly button and the tip.
0: Right? No, I've, I've got the perfect thing for the NRL, right? Get the jerseys redone. And get a bullseye like you're getting archery. <laughs> and just uh, just award extra points if you get in that little gold circle when you hit someone. You know, like, seriously, that's pretty much where we're getting to.
1: Yeah, oh, that narrative this week was ridiculous. Uh, they're, they're starting to lower their standard a bit, those guys. Yes, uh, both players. Oh, it was Brandon Smith on. But it was just coincidence. they just low tackles. It's fucking rugby league. It's a contact sport. There's nothing wrong at all with the cheese tackling technique. and I guarantee you, if it had been someone like um, Luke Garner or, or Scott Syrinson or someone with a lesser pro, uh, with a lesser profile, no one would ever be talking about it. In fact, the cheese runs around with his blonde hair, and he's got other issues in the media and everything else. It's uh, oh, let's have make a narrative here. They're ridiculous.
0: I mean, can you even see why that they should be doing anything? Obviously, two players got injured, but you make a good point. It's rugby league, you know. Players get hurt all the time. And it goes back to the Sam Burgess point from the JWH topic. You know, you go through games with Sam Burgess or hurt two or three players, and it's like, no, nah, penalty, mate, you can't do that. You've, you've hurt them. That's oh, ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with the tackles. They're just not legs tackles. So, you know, injuries
1: happen in rugby league. But it was just an unfortunate coincidence for this narrative to be created that it was him on both players that went off. other tackle was illegal in any way, shape, or form.
0: It's also paves our way to one of the things I've brought up at least twice this year, where 11 episodes into the talking footy episodes and at least twice I've brought this up, but I'm going to bring it up again. Cause you know why if referees call held earlier, it will solve half a dozen different various problems in the NRL.
1: 100%.
0: And one of them is you're not going to get three minutes. You know, this is one of the other things that got brought up. Right. Should we outlaw three men in a tackle? You know, you're only allowed two in a tackle. Absolutely ridiculous. Of course, you can't say that you can only have two people in a tackle. Um, But you know what it does do? Like sometimes when there shouldn't be a third person in a tackle, calling held will stop that. And you can see that very clearly sometimes. You can stop the wrestling. Um, You can clean up the ruck by, you know, calling held quicker. You can do so many other things by calling held quicker. Um, and stopping a third defender even being able to come in uh, or stopping the drive-through after someone's already tackled and they're frustrated trying to get someone on their back. You know, there's that many things that you can solve just by referees calling held early and taking control. And 100%. The, the third man in person, surely you'd reduce that just by calling held sometimes when a bloke has been held for about 67 years but no one's called it yet.
1: Oh, you can see, and he's still struggling and he's going nowhere and then someone will come in and try and chop him around the legs to get him on the ground and make the tackle the ref calls held earlier, 100%.
0: Play the ball, get on with it. It takes out a hell of a lot of that garbage. So I'm going to defend the cheese a little bit here. Look, I, I don't like a lot of the, the wrestling and things that have come into the game um, via some of what the Storm's done very successfully, and, you know, they've been allowed to do it.
1: I well, it's sort of on the out and now a bit back wrestling stuff too, but no one here as bad as
0: it was sort of five, six years yeah, ago. Yeah, it has gotten better. Um, it's just, uh, I just found it I, I just found it really strange. Um, to bring that up, you know, like you said, it's a bit of a coincidence. But let's move on. The other big news this week, um, keen to get your view on this one because, yeah, Shane Flanagan's a local for me. He lives up the road. Um, he coached one of my teams. Um, a few of my good mates that I loved playing with, you know, I left and he ended up coaching that that team for a couple of years. Um, seen him at the pub plenty of times. I've got some varied views on Flanagan. It's come out that he's obviously going to come and um, put his hat in the ring for the Bulldogs job, and some people are pushing that as being really good. Um, and there's two there's two sort of things that sort of come up for me. First of all, I'm not going to like ride Flano down and say he's a terrible coach or anything. Like he's not. You know, he's an NRL level coach. That's fine. But one of the things that does get me is um, is is how much he gets rated and whether that's fair. Um, so when you look at his coaching career. Uh, I think a lot of the media sort of said, you know, he'd be perfect for it. He's a very good coach. He went into Cronulla and he turned them around. And there was this whole narrative that's been created in the last week that he, he's sort of turned Cronulla, the Cronulla Sharks around and got them to a premiership. Now, he was the coach of the Cronulla Sharks and he deserves some credit, but he had a he had a lot of things happen with that side. You know, he had Ben Barber come in, who obviously was tumultuously out of the Bulldogs. Uh, he had guys like... Paul Gallen, who was already there, he did recruit quite well. How much you put on him or not, you know, you don't really know. But Valentine Holmes already was coming through. James Maloney got annoyed with the Roosters, so he came across. And basically, Cronulla was only one of two clubs that wanted to offer him the 750K that he wanted. So, I mean, yeah, he had some impact on the roster and stuff, but there was a lot of players already there when Flano started. He only had a 44% win percentage his first three years at Cronulla. Obviously, it was, a, it was a really good grand final win, though. It's the only one the Sharks have had, and he deserves a lot of credit for it. Not trying to take away from it at all. I'm just saying he's not like an automatic. He should be the coach of any NRL club that, that ends up with an opening. And the second and last thing that I'll mention with Flano, before I get your take on it, Perso, the big question that's, that's come up and it's been asked on all the programs and it's certainly been put in the media, whether it's the Herald or the Telegraph or whatever, um, you know, how are you going to handle dropping your son? And very diplomatic about it and said, you know, if he's, if he's not playing well enough, I'll obviously drop him and I've got no problem doing that. I've coached him for a long time, yada, yada, yada. And everyone sort of jumped on that and said, oh, well, isn't that nice? That works out fine if he's happy to drop his son. The thing that annoyed me about that line of questioning is no one actually went any deeper in that. And to me, Perso, it's not about him dropping his son. It's about how about signing your son? Because your son's on contract next year and then he's gone. And anybody right now that knows Rugby League would say there's no way you offer Kyle Flanagan a contract. He he should be gone. And he hasn't proven that he's NRL level at all. So it's fine to ask the easy question of will you drop your son if he's not performing? But what about when you've got to offer him a new contract in six months? Are you going to offer it to him? Because he really shouldn't be. Uh, and that's a big deal for me as well because – you yeah, Flano's on what five hundred grand a year or something at the Dogs at the moment. Um, he's not he's not cheap, and there's no way he should be getting re-signed. in my opinion, but a couple of things to unpack there. Per so I, I, I'm not saying that Flano definitely shouldn't be at the Dogs. Um I think that he's an option. I just don't think that he's as bigger option as what he's being pushed out there.
1: Yeah, oh, I reckon he's mad to take the option. To be honest, that'll be just about any case. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you, uh, it's, you, you need someone more experienced at Flanau, I Um, Boy reports, he's a good man, manager. he can pull the team together. But like, as you said, that when he, that shark side had a lot of experienced heads in it. But he told you your Malanis and your Gallons and your Townsends and, yeah, for guys like Fafita in their prime. There's a lot of experience in that side. You're walking into a dog side that's that the board split. There's, it hasn't have that old Bulldogs feel that it used to have. His son being there is the least of his problems. He'd probably just chop him, to be honest.
0: He probably should, but that's going to be, be. That's gonna be a
1: tough conversation. Like, I reckon he's that type of bloke that he would. If he's not performing, he wouldn't. Bo- he's got um, UK Super League written all over him. Call he just hasn't. He'd be good over in the Super League, look, in
0: fair, Like, I think that would be good for him. And I, I agree with you. Like, I think that he would not pick him and play him in reserve, great at times. I just don't think, I just don't know whether he would just say, mate, you, I can't sign you and you should go to the Super League.
1: Well, he, he coached him at Crowley, didn't he? He was there at Cruella at the time. Yeah, he's coached him um, his whole career aside from the risks. Yeah, through the junior ranks and everything else. I don't know. Maybe he could bring the best out of him. I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah, I'd. I'd, I'd <laughs> <laughs> He's a brave man putting his putting his hand up for that gig. I mean, Phil Guild is, is another issue there as well. Are you really are you really ever coaching when you got Phil Gould there?
0: Well, me and Luke spoke about that last week as well. Um, and I mean, it's it's one of those weird things where you've got someone that um has a lot of experience and knowledge in Phil Gould and it's going to be very useful. Um, but at the same time, it's a team that actually needs a really experienced coach, and you're not going to find very many experienced coaches who want to actually um, go alongside someone like Gould. So it, it's a bit of a tough scenario, isn't it? Because both are what they need, but both of those types of people don't really work together normally.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky situation that they're in. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of, The people talk about this year, how much the dogs, oh, we bought all these players. But you look at outside of Josh Adokar, he's probably got the better attitude out of it. any of them they bought. But some of the guys they bought were released from other clubs because their attitude was crap. It's just not buying into the old bulldog spirit they used to have. It's, people say, ah, oh, they need someone to come back in well, from the Bulldogs, what the Broncos have done with kevy Well, they had Dean pay there and they sacked him before before he even had a chance to do anything with the Ross and they bring Trent Barrett in. Uh, he doesn't, just not do we bring an old Bulldogs to die? But I, I honestly don't know what the dogs do. They're, they're
0: in a world of hurt. Mm, I understand him looking at Flano. Um, I just think that there's a, a lot of red flags on whether that's going to actually work or not. Um, the other one. My cow's working, to be honest. Yeah. Well, the other one that you briefly touched on, too, is that um, the Flano's got experience, but he was always a one club man, right? He's only ever coached at one spot. And the elephant in the room there, too, is that there was uh, quite a big drugs program that they got in trouble for at the time and yeah, quite a few things that he got in trouble for. And to be honest, like I'm pretty down on him for how he handled a lot of that stuff because he still seemed quite contrite afterwards. But I've kind of moved on from that now. But he's only ever experienced the one club and the one culture and stuff. Um, that's probably something too where you'd almost be better off with someone that's been in a few different clubs.
1: It, at the end of the day, it'll have to be someone that's going to um, really buy and feel good, really, and get on with good and get on his vision and what they want to do with the club where they want to be. But there's still too many players at that club that shouldn't be there, I don't I don't think. Or that The guys that they brought in on Big Mark... Yeah, Paul Vaughn's and your TPJs and Dafties and like they were never going to succeed. Buying those guys, like the, the history of poor attitude and stuff like that—that's too many of them. And I don't know what sort of coach is going to pull that around. I don't know. I don't know. Is Flanagan the man? He might be. I don't know.
0: Well, in in Flanagan's defence, he did have he did have some of those blokes before. So whether it was by design, great coaching, great people management, or just pure luck take your pick, because I don't know, but he did get the best out of some of those guys. You know, Andrew Fafita was, was firing his, with his best football under Flano. Um, obviously, it was the peak of his career too, but he was always a loose cannon. Ben Barber was there as a massive loose cannon and he, and he finished his career at the Sharks as yeah, a massive point, as yeah. a massive loose cannon, but he did perform at times for the Sharks there, obviously. Um, Maloney can be loose, but not in a real bad way, I guess, although he's just gotten done for drugs over in the UK. So, you know, who knows? Like he, he did have a lot of these type of guys too. Um, and Ennis, you know, wasn't particularly disciplined, and his discipline picked up when he got to the Sharkies. So, yeah, like he, had, he did have a few of these blokes there.
1: He does seem to be a good man manager Well, you can, well, you can pull us all together, so he could be the guy. But I, I think the, I don't know. The dogs have just got a, a long road ahead of them. I think.
0: Yeah, look, a couple of the guys that you mentioned, um, like Vaughan and Dufty are going to be off at least. So I think that they're going to um, be able to restructure.
1: Gus and move them on. I think Heather's gone. has uh, gone. TPJ would be lucky to be there too. So. I'd
0: actually keep TPJ. Look, I reckon that you can have a couple of those guys and it's fine. Um, and, and he'd be the one that you'd obviously keep out of, you know, the Dufties and the, um, and the Vaughans and so forth. Let's let's move along. We'll wait and see where the Flano ends up as coach. I just think it's interesting that some of the narratives that come out about it and and how he's looked at. You know, he's definitely an option. Um, he might end up being the best option though, because really, like Percy said, he's going to take that job. Is Anyone
1: else putting their hand up? <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to see Cameron Serradoras and guys like that believe Like he'd be, he's the next uh, best sort of coach coming through. Similar to what Craig Fitzgibbon was, he's, he's not going to leave to just. Coach a first grade side, he's going to board his time and take the right options. So that's the thing with the dogs; like it, they haven't really got a lot of options.
0: Well, it will be interesting how it unfolds. But the big news this afternoon—this is a huge topic. Payne Haas has requested an immediate release today from the Brisbane Broncos, which was denied. Uh, this is massive news. Uh, obviously, Haas has gone over to to new management recently, uh, and. He's contracted for another three years. Okay, we did a, a big discussion on this um, at the start of the year because Payne Haas wanted an upgraded contract. Um, it didn't happen. It's been ongoing negotiations for months now with the Broncos, and again, we can't, we don't know exactly on the numbers. You know, you can only go off reports and stuff. But at the moment, basically, from what's been reported, and I'll reference Dobbo up in the Courier Mail, and so, certainly the guy that normally gets all the Queensland mail right. Payne is on an upgraded contract that he agreed to 12 months ago already. You know, he's already had this deal upgraded once with three years left on it. And he got upgraded to now be paid this year $750,000. Next year, $850,000. And the year after $950,000. So he's going to average out at well over 800K a year across the duration of his deal that goes for three more years. Uh, apparently Payne is not getting paid his value and he has requested an extra $350,000 a season. So he's going to average out at 1.15 million based on all reports, and that's what he's after. That will put him in the top three um, highest-paid players, I believe, in the NRL or thereabouts, and it will put him there as a front-row forward. Now, I was already hugely down on, on paying Haas-Perso, and I've already said I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole, um, and he's, I say that in acknowledging that he's the best front-rower in the game. He is an immensely talented footballer, and his football talent is unquestioned. And he's a front row forward. You do not pay front row forwards that type of money because they do not have the impact on your wins and losses that other positions do. Yeah, and your cap ends up guy. all out of whack. Um, but the other thing too is that he's already displayed over the last three years, huge attitude problems. And this is just another one, right? I'm not going to cop. It's his management and it's about... He's a grown man. No management does uh, anything that the the player doesn't agree to. And he is today pulled out on his coaches, his club, his teammates and his fans on a seven-game winning streak, the first time in a number of years that the Broncos have actually been successful, on the eve of a match against the Titans without their general and Adam Reynolds. Now, you would absolutely be filthy if you played in a park footy team and someone just pulled out the day before a game like that.
1: Coming into Origin too, like, yeah, ridiculously poor Timing, boys, management, boy. and the fact that yeah, like you said, your management does run things, but you're a great man at the same time. Why the hell would you be trying to do this shit now? It's ridiculous.
0: It's it's really poor timing. Um, even if we forgive him for that, let's let's unpack the fact that he wants to be paid 1.15 million a year per se.
1: He's not worth it. No one, no, it, like it's ridiculous that the, it's not David Fafita's problem that he's been paid what he has at the Titans. But it's ridiculous cap management. Let's not forget that um, Haas was suspended what four five rounds ago for slapping Albert Kelly after he trod in his shoes. I mean, the worst one last
0: year was when he abused that female officer when he was pissed.
1: That's what I mean. You can't hardly demand a a million dollar contract, and with a million dollar contract comes like a head of the NRL type thing too. It's not that it's all marketing, and he's not the most marketable player on the back of a couple of indiscretions it's just ridiculous uh, I don't know, he's get obviously getting some misguided leadership there from management and whatever, but very bizarre that it just comes out at the time it's come it's very untimely and could do Well, and the Broncos have been killing it, it could derail what's going on there, it's just, it's ridiculous They, they I don't know <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it when they popped this afternoon, that story to be honest it's just crazy
0: Well the other strange thing about it is that there isn't any other club? Apparently, he hasn't got any other offers or, or anything else. Now,
1: I think no one's going
0: to give him that money. Well, I'm going to quote something here that Denny Widler reported, right, from directly from Hassler's management, and that is, we have not thought about other clubs. Let's be frank, the other 16 clubs would all want him.
1: I, not for 1.2 million a year, though. Mike. Absolutely,
0: no <laughs> one wants him. If he went to market now, he would end up. I would argue he'd end up getting less than what he's on now.
1: Well, he'd be flat out getting six hundred.
0: Uh, it's just it is bizarre. Let's put it, let's put his worth up in the spotlight, though. What do you think that he is realistically worth? Because to me, I actually think the Broncos are already paying him more than fairly. I would say seven fifty-eight, fifty-nine. Probably 50 overs. Is overs for the next three years.
1: It is overs for a prop forward. He might well be the best prop forward in the game, but he's a prop forward. It's the diff- he's not—he's not, he's not uh, four hundred thousand dollars a year better than the next prop forward.
0: Yeah, I'd say seven hundred to seven fifty k.
1: So when you, you you get the way the salary caps going, these days, like you, you can't afford to spend overs on middle forwards. The way the salary cap is, that sort of money that he's after it has to be his spine. So, yeah, I mean, uh, if he was getting 700, 750, he'd be probably about the best paid prop in the comp and that'd be about what he's worth with being hmm. maximum on potential because he's still young.
0: Kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened at yeah. the Roosters with the troll, because the troll got told in no uncertain terms, you know, you're a centre and we, we're not going to pay a centre a million bucks a year because, you know, centres aren't going to win us games. Uh, and that was said a lot nicer and a lot more diplomatically, but basically that's what it came down to. And he wanted to be a fullback and thought he deserved fullback money. Now, you know, he's a very good fullback. and He does deserve fullback money, but at the Roosters, he was a centre. You know, it's very similar where it's like, well. I don't think Payne's going to turn himself into a fullback. I don't think he is, no. <laughs> so he's Payne is going to have to be ambitious
1: with, with that 1.2 million a year. It's just ridiculous.
0: Well, and, and your impact on the game is different position by position, right? And I made the comment on Twitter tonight that, if you let Payne Haas go, you could sign someone to do 80% of what Payne Haas does for half the money. If you let a Travojevic, a Tedesco, a Papenhausen yeah. go, you'll be flat out signing someone that can do 20% of what they do for half the money.
1: How much would Pat Carrigan be on? Because you could argue that Pat Carrigan's outplayed half this season.
0: Yeah, and and he's already on a few hundred thousand less than at minimum. And, and Payne Haas wants to be paid 600 300K.
1: more. Yeah, get Carrigan to be on three fifty, four
0: hundred. No, it's... And probably
1: outperforming
0: so... It's very bizarre. I don't think that... I'm going to finish on a quote here first, though. Um, well, not a quote, a, a story. A story from another sport. Latrell Sprewell was an NBA player, very good NBA player. And there was a famous uh, story in 2004 where he got offered, after a really good season, a contract with the Minnesota Timberwolves to re-sign with his current team that had gone into the finals and had Hall of Famer Kevin Garnett. 2004, Latrell Spiegel turned down a $21.4 million US contract because he said it wasn't enough to feed his family. <laughs> you know what happened to Latrell after that? Never played again and went bankrupt. So <laughs> pain. You're a bit younger than Latrell was, but you know, there's a there's a bit of a lesson in that story there. When you've got it good, take the money. Play for your team, play for your teammates, play for your club and play for your fans. You're not doing that by putting this up the day before the Titans game. Legend Rewind, Perso. I love this. Great way to finish up these podcasts. I love it. Brad Clyde. What what a player. I'm, I, I'm going to let you start off this one. I'll, I'll hit up all the stats and stuff on Brad Clyde, but tell me your memories of Brad oh, Clyde. Mate,
1: he was awesome. <laughs> we last time we did these, you had Steve Menzies, You got Brad Claw. This one, I, I missed out on the Glenn Lazarus, but honestly, they were probably th- my three favourite players when I was a kid. Unbelievable, Brad Claw. He was just... Uh, uh, I guess he was the first... Well, I was, I was probably Wayne Pierce was the first, but in the modern era, Brad Claw was the first just workaholic, lockboard. Just an absolute weapon. He had ball skills. He 80 minutes. He just tackled all day, run all day. He was phenomenal
0: yeah and he was a real trailblazer like it was um he was one of the first I think you mentioned Wayne Pierce and certainly he was um, one of those real professional athlete forwards uh, because a lot of the time in the 80s and 90s you got a lot of big fellas and you know they were the forwards because they were big and they had brute power but one one piece play and weight was like five kilos less than Mitchell's. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Clyde was a guy that was um, around the 100 kilo mark and six foot one. So he had you a know, great, pretty much a modern back row build, um, but it wasn't really that much of a modern back row build back then. You know, he had um, athleticism, but the biggest thing was his motor, right? Like he could go all day and he was a guy that could bust the line a lot too. It was underrated, um, you know, but he was widely considered. Played log, but he could run lines as well.
1: Yeah. And he ran off. He ran off daily steward all the time. it just he was so good. So good.
0: Well he's he's widely considered as one of the first most like absolutely complete forwards uh the game scene because he could do everything right. There wasn't anything that he couldn't do and he just kept going for the eighty minutes.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Right? His cover defence was fantastic too. I mean, he was in that brilliant raiders' side through the nineties, but yeah, he's just a good player.
0: Yep. Well, I mean there was a couple of really um Big career accolades that he had that um, probably doesn't get mentioned enough. Jewel Clive Churchill winner. Exactly, yes. Very few people have been Jewel Clive Churchill. And even less, uh, I think there's only three that have actually gotten the Churchills in, in losing teams. And he, he was one of them as well. So that's that's a pretty big deal. The Raiders went to three straight grand finals, 89, 90, and 91. He was Clive Churchill in 89 and 91, um, which was a huge deal.
1: Yeah, you watch that 91 grand final and he was the Clive Churchill middle in that one, it was the
0: Panthers' first one. That's a no I food. Oh, for sure. And and he was, you know, it was very clear that he was Clive Churchill too. And that was probably one of the highlights for me. Like he's Clive Churchill. Like sometimes you get games where you go, well, who was it? Or is it going to be one of these four or five players? Like he won that Clive Churchill medal. You know, he's what, what he achieved was incredible. Um He's in the Hall of Fame. For those that don't know, he debuted with the Raiders. Uh, and he also went over to Leeds and played with them as well. But he yeah, had premierships. Finished up with with the Bulldogs too, which is unfortunate through that like
1: end of the Super League stuff. But
0: yeah, it was
1: you know playing prop with the Bulldogs.
0: Yeah, and it was it wasn't the best end to his career, unfortunately. But he's a guy that I think that doesn't get mentioned very much. Per so, why do you think that is? Don't know. Same reason that we've <laughs> talked
1: about Lazarus, Clyde and Menzies. Uh, probably my three favourite players through the '90s. I'm uh, uh, forward bias, but they were just brilliant players, and they all changed the role of the position that they played. But like the, it, it would you talk about immortal sort of conversations? That none of those guys are, should be out of the equation. And Clyde was, Clyde was, like, everyone talks about oh, Clyde changed
0: the way forward, back forward. So, well, he did, but he sort of gets forgotten a bit sometimes. He gets forgotten a lot and he doesn't get talked about with modern forwards at all. And he was actually a modern forward way before his time. So he really should be talked about. 100%. One of the big things that I remember about how he played too is that he always stepped up in the big games. Really, really big game player. You know, he's got close to 20 caps for Australia, um, played 12 games for New South Wales as well. But in those grand finals especially, but all those big games, he, he stepped up.
1: Yeah, he he had silky skills too with the ball, but he was tough as nails as well. That was the thing he could do both sides of it. Defensively, he was solid as a rock. He had ball skills. He was playing lock, but he could run good lines. He could tackle all day. He sort of like it took another. I reckon the only player I've seen close to him in that sort of lock role was Corey Parker, and that sort of came what twenty years later.
0: Yeah, and it almost there's sort almost a little tinge of um. Almost Paul Gallen-ish with some of his motor and his offloads and stuff, and but with more, much more attack and flair than than Gao. Yeah,
1: yeah, there's a lot more ball skills than Gao
0: did. He scored seventy-five tries in two hundred and ninety first grade, first-class games. So that's the other thing too. I think it's. It, it gets you talk about the great try scoring forwards. He was never he's never spoken about it that way. And really I don't I don't think he should be, because it certainly was only one of his bows. He he had many things that he did well. But he's scoring every one to three uh, every three to four games he's scoring a try. And the thing with his um how I said that he was always reliable and super consistent game to game. He always gave you a good game. He was always the same with his try scoring too. You know, even when he went over to Leeds, he was still scoring at about the same rate, still scored about the same rate for Australia and the Raiders. You know, he he always kept that up. And 75 tries is no mean feat for a lock forward back in those days when, you know, points were much more of a premium.
1: He's one of those guys where you'd never remember him having a bad game because he never did. He's just ultra-reliable, Brad So good, so consistent.
0: Two premierships, two Clive Churchill medals, including a losing team. Um great kangaroo tour in 1994 where i think that he got named the um the player of the tour actually and that was pretty early on in his career Wish oh, we we'll say bring that kangaroo the, the kangaroo tour there. is brilliant and like it's it's one of those things when you talk about some of these players like clyde and so forth um you know you think about the club that they played for and he was almost a one club player like i think he'll always be remembered as a raider and you sort of think about that but then you also think about you know their australian caps and the kangaroo tour comes right, right back you know it, it, how good were the kangaroo tours especially then you had Clyde going over with his Canberra teammates of Stuart, um, Laurie Daly, Meninga—that that big four that went across from the Raiders. Yeah, he he was every bit as important as Stuart, Meninga, and Daly in that side. Hundred percent, he was. Well, Brad Clyde, one of my favourite players too. Um, and I I will actually make an admission when we finish up on Brad Clyde, he came through when I was a, when I was a kid, um, and when he first started, I, I loved the footy. But I'd watch it and I never understood initially when I was a youngster why everybody loved Brad Clyde so much. I sort of, I even started to say, oh, I think he might be a bit overrated because I'm not seeing it. Uh, uh, that was Brad McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can, I, I don't want to badmouth Brad. He had some pretty good firm locks there with the mullet. It's, uh, that was pretty special. But uh, well, with Clyde, the, the, the reason was because I just didn't understand the game enough when I was a kid and, and Clyde just did everything. You know, and, you know, he'd have the odd game where he'd he'd certainly bust through the line and score some nice tries and whatever, but you almost, if you weren't watching the game properly or you didn't know rugby league, you'd almost not realise how how good he was with ball in hand and how good he was defensively for a Ford. Defensively. He was just everywhere. Well, that's the thing, right? He was everywhere. And, like, you know, when if you're 10, 11, 12 years old, you kind of don't really notice that because you're, like, you're just seeing a whole heap of players tackle and then you're waiting for the backs to get the ball and score tries. But as I started to appreciate the game or learn it more and get a bit older, and certainly when I hit my teenage years, I was like, wow, you know, he's everywhere. He's doing everything. And I can't think of one player in the league that can do all the things that Brad Clyde can in a forward pack. And that's kind of what I remember of him most, I reckon. Yeah, 100%.
1: Probably Marsh came along next it was a similar sort of player, actually, you think about it, when he was at his peak.
0: Yeah, well, less ball skills, but people forget that Heidi had a really good offload and before he was a workaholic, he had a good work rate, but he actually attacked really well. Um, and, yeah. he, and he played footy, you know, and, that, and that's a... It's, it's sometimes a cliche term and an overused term, but it really holds true. Like, he played footy and it was none of this, um, you know staying in a specific area, going these specific lines, doing things a certain way. He played what was in front of him. He did you know, he did what he needed to to be effective as, as much as possible. And
1: that was the thing in that era too with Brad Clyde. Like he played lock. so It was all defensive covers and stuff, but he could also get outside daily and not get around lines and get put in the gaps. So he played like an edge back row, but played in the middle as well. And he did all the work of the three. middle guys
0: that we have now, yeah. but all the great stuff that the edge guys do as well. What a combination. What a great player. Brad Clyde. Great one to finish on, Perso. Talking footy, episode number 11, Down and Dusted. Thanks very much for jumping on once again. Always appreciate chatting some footy with you and especially the spotlights because we're s- similar eras, so we remember the players.
1: <laughs> That's always good fun to reminisce, but
0: Thanks very much, mate. Well, everyone who wants to get grab the podcast, you can download or stream on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or Audible. Follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And certainly hit up our sponsor, topsport.com.au. Create an account today with promo code SCALLSTARS and they'll take great care of you. But thanks for listening to another and Footy episode. Tuesday night, we will record the NRL Supercoach TLT episode, a special buy-around episode with me and Billy. And then end of next week, we'll hit up another Talk and Footy episode, which will be great because there's not as much footy next week, only half as many games. May as well listen to me and someone else talk footy for a while as well. In the meantime, while you're waiting for a full round to come, but enjoy this round of footy. Can't wait to chat to everyone again next week. Hey now,
1: you're an get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid.